Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostol, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Oh, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I am so happy to be joined today by Nicola Salmon. Um, Nicola is a fat positive fertility coach and author of Fat and Fertile, which might just be the best book title ever. Fat and Fertile. I love it so much. Um, She helps fat folks navigate getting pregnant in a weight obsessed world and advocates for change in how fat people are treated whilst I love the British whilst um, accessing (laughs) help with their fertility. Um, Nicola has a unique fat positive framework to support people in finding their own version of health without diets. She helps them advocate for their bodies and also relearn how to trust their body. Oh, so good. And bottom line, believe in their ability to get pregnant. Um, So I'm so happy to chat with you, Nicola, and I love everything that I just read. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm so honored to be here. And yay, I'm I'm so up for conversations around how we can live our best, most beautiful, joyous fat lives. Right? Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I'm always curious about, because I know I had my own huge journey around this was the, like my relationship to the word fat. (laughs) So I'm super curious. Did you have um, like what was your journey to even like, even claiming, like calling your book fat and fertile, like that is a bold statement. Um, like I think about a decade ago, I could never have like used that word. So I'm, I'm curious, what's your journey been with that word fat and claiming it and actually building a business around it? Mm, I mean, a similar journey, I think in so much as it was really uncomfortable for a very long time to, to claim that word and yeah 10 years ago I would have been in exactly the same place of of thinking about that word as a terrible word and all the negative connotations that we traditionally have around it um and it was when I had my own children that I really began to start to unpick that the language around how I was talking about my body and just being really acutely aware of not wanting to pass that on to them Oh, was there a moment like did did something happen with one of your kids or because I I've experienced that with my stepkids. There's been these moments where they're like counting calories. And I'm going, hang on a second. We need <laughs> to have like it doesn't matter how many grams of sugar. But again, they're getting these messages and I can't control all the messages they're getting, especially from their, you know, their mom and the other side of the family. And so like. I know I had this real awakening a couple of years ago around, oh my God, they're so indoctrinated at like eight and 10. So was there something for you and your kids? I mean, it was really young. So maybe like my eldest was like six months old and it was when they were, he was starting to eat food and start to interact with food. And I just, all I can really remember is being in my kitchen and him 
you know, like and talking to him about food. Obviously, he was six months old, so it wasn't a conversation, but <laughs> just being so aware of the words that were coming out of my mouth. And I was just like, you know, like I just I just was like, no, I can't I can't talk about my body that way anymore. You know, like and I was so exhausted from motherhood and from birthing and taking care of a small human being. I was like, I don't have the capacity to have dieting and weightless in my life. Like, I do not have the bandwidth because it just took over everything. And I was like, no, I just can't. I just can't live like this anymore. So I think it was a combination of just being really aware of like how damaging this, this, the way that we talk about our bodies and the way that we talk about food was and the fact that there was just no room for it anymore. I was just like, you know, like there's just when you're not sleeping, when you're trying to take care of somebody else's needs, there was just, I was at an end and something had to give. And thank God it was that. (laughs) Right. I love that you mentioned like the mental labor of upholding diet culture, like the constant vigilance and surveillance. It's yeah. I mean, I, I noticed a huge shift too, when I finally kind of stopped weighing myself multiple times Mm -hmm. a day and just really worked on letting a lot of like the diet math stop calculating in my head. Like all of a sudden it was like, Oh, there is room. (laughs) And it was so, it was such, it was totally unexpected for me. I had no idea how much mental bandwidth I had been giving over to things like intentional weight loss and diet culture. And it just, it was, it got me nowhere. It did nothing for me other than like weight cycling and just perpetuating this horrible cycle of up and down and depression and Mm. sadness. And then, oh, just, yeah. So I, I think that's, I love that you noticed that and you're like, nope, I am reprioritizing. Like I'm going to focus on. Yeah. And of course that wasn't linear. Of course I didn't wake up and go, whoop, here we go. Fat love. (laughs) But you know, I was hoping you'd give us the secret. (laughs) Tell us. Spoiler alert. Yeah. No secret. I know, you know, it's been a total up and down journey of, you know, and I still have days when my I find my body challenging and the world around me challenging because of the way it reacts to my body. Um, but yeah, like the benefits that I've had from reclaiming the word fat and the Mm. benefits the the opportunity that I have to now do this work and do it so loudly because I use the word fat. Like I would yes. not change a thing about that. Yeah. What are some of those benefits? I think some people don't know. Like I think mm. when people are kind of beginning this journey, it just feels hard because all the messaging that we get from, you know, diet culture, productivity culture, ableism, healthism. I mean, we could list all so many isms, white supremacy, like, it's, it's like, you're just fighting an uphill battle. So tell us some of the benefits that you experienced. So I think some of the biggest gifts for me. So in my work, I get to work with the most incredible people, hands down, the people I work with are the best people in the world. And I think I wouldn't be able to have those people in my world in the same way without using the words that I use, talking about my work in the way that I do. They are just the most phenomenal people that I meet. Um, And on a personal level, it has allowed me to go on this journey and to learn about white supremacy and ableism, healthism. You know, my eyes have been open and my mind has been broken by learning this stuff, the social justice movement and 
you know, my learning is so still at the beginning of all that. Like I have so much more to learn when it comes to how to make the world more equitable for all bodies. But, you know, that has been such a personal reward for me being able to, you know, really clumsily learn more (laughs) about how to be a better person and how to um, show up in the world and make actually make a difference because that is so rewarding for me on a really personal selfish level. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I feel that too. I also feel like I'm, I love that you said eyes open, mind broken. That's yeah. exactly it. Like I do feel like I can't unsee and un, and I wouldn't want to, I've learned unlearned other things, but I would not want to unlearn the work that I've done around social justice as awful and challenging yeah. as it is at times. I, I like seeing the world through this lens. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear about the wonderful people that you work with. Um, and if it's all right, I'll share a little bit of my own story why I was so excited yeah, to chat please. with you. Cause I, um, have always, I mean, pretty much have, I've always considered myself fat. It's funny. It's one of those things where I look back at pictures of myself. I'm like, I wasn't fat, but everyone else around me kind of told me I yeah. was that, that kind of dynamic. Um, and so therefore I thought I was very fat. And when I got married to my first husband, we, uh, kind of surprised got pregnant. We weren't like trying, but we weren't not trying. Um, and we were very excited because I also had been clinically diagnosed with PCOS, similar to your story and told there it would be complicated. And then, um, literally like kind of passed out one day at around three months at my parents' place because we were all there for Easter, like a whole big, I'm Greek. So it was like a big Greek, you know, all the families there, um, obviously very pre-COVID times. And this is probably like, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago now. And um, rushed to the ER, was there for like two days to finally get an ultrasound and find out that it was an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. And just kind of going through that whole process as a fat person in the hospital, really for the first time, needing quite significant care. Oh, really started some medical trauma (laughs) within me. And, um, And then the whole idea of possibly doing that again or having to go through that again was so off-putting. And so I did not, you know, I ended up separating and getting divorced from that, that husband. And um, now I'm, I've got two stepkids and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And so I, I'm not a biological mother, but like that experience, I think a lot about, because they were trying, there were little things, you know, like gowns that didn't fit beds that didn't fit my body. Um, People using words like just, just uh, not, you know, I'm trying to think of the word they use something like, like, could you just like almost treating my belly as if it was um, in the way and then like an, like a, like a disgusting object. They'd be like, could you just like move that? (laughs) And and here I am like so distressed that I'm now having a miscarriage. And now that, and and there was this whole debate, do we do surgery? Do we do the drugs? And everyone was saying, well, surgery at your size, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, and it was just, I mean, it's probably stuff you've heard a million times, this experience. It was awful. It was awful. And it took six months of recovery and then, you know, constant pelvic ultrasounds, which is, you know, I'm now quite used to them, but it's still not 
handled in a way that supports fat bodies. Every time I go and get a pelvic, it's like, Oh God, all right, let me educate the person. And then I have to do all this emotional labor and half the time I don't want to, I mean, it's just, it's this big ball of not only just working within the medical system, but also gynecologically working within the medical system. And it is, Oh, it, it just, it's awful. It's awful. So I would love to hear about how do you help uh, is I don't know what the term is. Is it like people with uteruses? Because I know it's not just women. Do we say people who choose to get? Yeah. Pregnant? So yeah. So I just I tend to just say folks who want to get pregnant. Perfect. And just folks who want to get of, pregnant. Yeah. yeah. Keep yeah. it as loose as possible because obviously, um, yeah, it's women, it's trans men, it's um, non-binary folks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, all those people need support, and a lot of those yeah. people, you know, the folks that I work with are marginalised and often have multiple marginalizations, whether, you know, queer folks, um, non-binary folks, trans folks, like there is so much overlap with that. And these are the folks that need help the most and need, you know, supportive, caring, respectful care, because this is such a vulnerable time for folks. Anything to do with pregnancy, with fertility, with reproduction, this is such a vulnerable space and time and you know this is the time when they need the most care and the most love and it's often the time when they don't get it and it's you know even just the way that they talk about our bodies and the way that they handle and touch our bodies is often with that feeling like you described of disgust or um judgment and that is you know they may seem like really small inconsequential actions to those people but for us those are the things that stay with us and the things that we remember and those feelings of being touched that way is just a real it's um yeah it's it's really harming and it is it kind of and it's very invasive and yeah yeah almost it's violent it is it feels violent and you know 10 whenever this happened for me I'm trying to remember like 12 13 years ago I didn't have this lens of anti-oppression yeah. I didn't know about social justice I didn't know about diet culture and anti-fat bias I just blamed myself oh mm. I had an ectopic because maybe my fallopian tubes are too fat <laughs> like I mean uh, it's ridiculous yeah. right but all but I common. knew it's common all I knew was to blame the individual for a systemic yeah. problem so I would love to hear I, I think it's so interesting to see um or to hear about how how did you come to do this work mm. what brought so- you here so really similar to you, diagnosed really early with PCOS, told that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant. So I've always had um, a kind of leaning towards trying to understand that more and really trying to learn more about my own body and my own story. Um, and I trained in science. So I was was a clinical scientist for a while, um, did like an undergrad, a master's. And then I, what happened next? I was living in London and a guy got shot outside my flat and I experienced um, trauma from that and PTSD and I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't get on well with the antidepressants that I was described. Um, I didn't get very good therapy and I just didn't know what to do. And in the end, what really helped me was acupuncture never had it so interesting never tried it before didn't really know much about it but it was just one of those serendipitous things where I went and tried it went into a therapy center asked what would help because I was desperate um and I tried acupuncture and it really helped me and that led me on a path to training to be an acupuncturist even though I didn't really know anything about it I was just like I've got to understand it I've got to know what's happening like why did this help me um 
And then specialising in fertility acupuncture because of my own interest in hormones and then extending that into coaching work because I really knew that I needed to be able to support folks more emotionally with that journey because it is such a complex and vulnerable time. Um, And then having my own kids and going through that experience and it being completely unremarkable and we got pregnant really easily and... I was just like, what the hell just happened? Like, how how is this a thing? And it was, yeah, you know, all these little seeds were being planted of, of this kind of expertise, but also my own experience navigating that. And then, yeah, once my little ones were little, I was like trying to do some more online work because I thought that would be really good for being at home with the kids. And it was just a bit of a moment of, holy crap, like, as I'm learning, unlearning all the diet culture stuff, the more I unlearn, the more I see it in the work that I'm both doing and, you know, perpetuating harm myself, but also in the world around me of fertility of how, how insipid it is and how prevalent it is in every single fertility clinic and every single doctor that talks about fertility. They just talk about weight loss and keto diets and, you know, and, 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 and the shame and the judgment and then just like you say, once you see it, you cannot unsee that. And I was like, well, who's talking about this stuff? You know, who's who is trying to stop all this crap from happening? And I just I couldn't find anybody that was trying to stop this and trying to change this for fat folks. And I was like, OK, deep breath. I'm, I'm just going to have to start talking about this because I can't not now. I, you know, I felt like I couldn't not talk about this huge elephant in the room. And it was from there that I just kind of carried on talking and just haven't shut up since then. <laughs> oh, I so get that. It's like, well, I guess it's gotta be me. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. and I love that you said deep breath because it does require deep breath. There's, it's a big deal to wade into the anti-fat waters and there can be like, it really pisses people off. Um, oh, yeah. we, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I just think about, um, and I want to hear about your clients in a second, but it's so interesting just to set up for people. If anyone's listening, who is not a fat person, just to give like a small little sense, like recently I've had to, I went to my family doctor and a gynecologist. So unsolicited without knowing anything about me, cause it's a brand new family doctor. She looks at me, she goes, you know, it's just about mental control your weight. And I'm like, you know, nothing about me. I have a master's degree. I'm like, I have mental control. Like if it was about that, I would have figured it out. And then my gynecologist a week later, similar, like, and, and these are both thin people or straight sized people. Um, the gynecologist similarly knows nothing about me. Cause again, it was, I was investigating, um, what turns out to be endometriosis and adenomyosis and fibroids, but I didn't know this at the time. So I was like, yeah. you know, doing the rounds with the doctors. Um, and, uh, and the gynecologist says, looks at me and says, you know, it's just as simple as calories in calories out. Oh my God. I am looking and this is me. And here I am sitting here, this body liberation activist going, like do I just open a dialogue and I'm like, okay, deep breath. Like you said, deep breath. Let me do some emotional labor. And I looked at my gynecologist. I, the doctor, I just, they were kind of out the door. Um, but the gynecologist said, you know, it's actually not. And I have so many resources I could share with you. She goes, no, it actually is. And I was like, 
all right, conversation is over. They're not interested. Um, And it's, yeah. And so I think it, it is, it's, it's just baked in. These assumptions are baked in what I, what I'm so curious about is like when you are working with clients and I will say one of the things now that I'm on these um, endometriosis Facebook groups, And you've probably come across this too, I imagine, with clients. It's, I'm not interested in fertility at this point, but a lot of people yeah. are finding endometriosis is being discovered as their barrier to getting pregnant. What is prescribed to them? Lose some weight. And it's <sighs> like, that's like the number one thing, not actually treating the endo to like take care of it. All the doctors are saying, go on keto. And then it just, it goes and goes and goes and goes. So yeah. what are you finding some of your clients face as the biggest challenges to just navigating this, how to, how to get pregnant, how to get the support they need Mm. while living in a fat body. So I think there's two major kind of areas. The first one is this idea that they're even worthy of that care in the first place because of this continued conversation out there that it's your fault. Right. And it, you know, we know it is not your fault. It is entirely a system fault. It is entirely a you know the way that we talk about this and the inequality in our healthcare, but people you know if people aren't in that space if people don't I don't have that language yet then it's so easy for them to say okay well I'll just put off going to see the doctor about this until I've lost x pounds or maybe I won't even start trying until I've lost you know x amount of weight or tried this diet or become quote unquote more healthier when you know health is a completely abstract concept and doesn't really mean anything anyway um so that's the first her main hurdle is that it's, it's even that starting getting off the starting block and giving yourself permission to try giving yourself permission to start navigating that path and then the second is around access to care because so many people are denied tests treatments any form of access to care based purely on their bmi and that's just not acceptable how do you, so it's so, I mean, this for the, the, the first piece you mentioned around helping people even realize they're worthy. Second of all, you know, now you're like getting them access to care. How do you support them in that? Because honestly, even as you say it, I could feel myself being like, oh my God, there's a boulder on my shoulders. Like it feels <laughs> so heavy. impossible. So how do you, mm. what do you do? So I think one of the things that helps people the most is being able to share that burden. So Mm. you talk about that weight and it is heavy and they feel so alone in that. So a lot of the work I do is around helping them, you know, take some of that burden away from them, both in terms of helping them find community with other fat people who are navigating this in loads of different ways. Um, But also for folks who I work like one-to-one with or closely with, I'll email clinics for them. I'll do like Google searches to find Um, any resources or practitioners you know I'll help take some of that burden off them so that they don't have to email 50 different fertility clinics only to get 50 emails back that says no we won't help you because that is exhausting Um, so if I can offer some of that you know advocacy support and really help them you know narrow that list down or you know take away some of those no's or those rejections and those things you know like that is something that I can do to help and take away some of that emotional labor so there's lots of different things and it's sometimes it's difficult still like even with all the practice that I've had at this you know it's still sometimes hard for folks especially you know geographically you know the U.S. is a very big place and there's not always places close by that will help folks um 
Um, but luckily, you know, with COVID, one of the benefits has been we've seen a real rise in telehealth medicine. So, you know, that does give people more access to more options. But it's just about navigating that. And, and often there's, you know, financial limitations and, you know, geographical limitations and age limitations. And there's so many different barriers that folks face. And anything that I can do to help them with support with that is, you know, I'll gladly do. Yeah, I love that idea of helping them carry that burden and even going so far as doing some of that emotional label, labor for them. I mean, that's, I can just feel how what a gift that would be for people who are struggling, especially because not only are you struggling, like it, it's just the struggle becomes so multi-layered because already if they're seeking fertility help, there's probably some worry, right? Mm. Probably feeling quite stressed out. Um, and then so having to reach out to clinics and I, I I just that yeah that labor piece I can imagine would just be so much for people so wow that's lovely yeah. um do you I'm this is <laughs> that I'm I'm gonna ask this question but you don't have to answer it but I'm so again I don't think and I know this from just even talking to my friends who are straight size like I don't think people really realize how bad it is for fat people do you have um even like an example or even just a generalized, it doesn't have to be a specific client, but like, what's an example of the kind of challenge that someone who's living in a fat body has to face going through this process? Like, can you think of an anecdote? Oh, yeah. there? I know. Yeah. I'm like, give us the goods. Like, let's really paint a picture here because then mm. we want us to, to switch into, and here's the hope, but I feel like we got to yeah. set the stage first. We're going to do some storytelling yeah. of like, here's like the shadow side and then we're going to move to hope so hope is coming but let's really get into the, the yeah shadow. so I mean one of the worst things that I've seen and this has happened on multiple occasions to multiple people so this isn't just a one-off doctor that's gone rogue is a fertility clinic that's offered to support someone in a bigger body so that the immediate thing is like yes finally I found someone I found someone that's going to help me get pregnant they've been through that process they've paid them the money they have gone through the rigorous um, hormonal schedule that you've got to go through, put their bodies through that. They've been through egg collection. They've got embryos and they're ready for that transfer for them, for the doctor to turn around and say, we will not support you further with this until you've lost weight. What? After yeah. they've done all of that? Yeah. I mean, is that not malpractice? Like how, how is yeah. that even possible that's horrifying it's not ethical I don't think it's legal um it's yeah I mean it's apparent in so many ways and it's not you know I've had multiple people tell me a very very similar story and you know the first thing I tell them to do is to complain complain to the manager complain to the you know in the UK we have you know the HFEA which is like the embryologist association where it's all that governs all the clinics but take this as high as you can because this is not acceptable and you know there is no valid evidence in the scientific community to support a decision like that in clinical practice but yeah and this is the thing that drives me so bananas about the health system is all these decisions are being based on pure anti-fat bias because there is no evidence Mm. it's wild completely wild and and they get away with it and it makes me so angry because I know the people I talk to are a tiny percentage of the people that are navigating this and it makes me so angry so what so are there I mean in those situations as they've kind of gone up the chain and complained 
were decisions reversed? Were they able to yeah. be implanted? Good. Yeah. So, so I've had, <clears throat> yeah, people have rightly been able to complain and, and yeah, I'm gone through with the egg transfer and had <sighs> babies and pregnancies that are completely normal and healthy and fine. And, you know, but regardless of whether your pregnancy is healthy or not, like you deserve to have that right. And you deserve to have every support that you need in order to navigate that and for both of you to come out. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, I just, I'm just imagining the heartbreak of that moment have gone through all that and then be told, um, change plans. And then, cause what do you do? You walk away and what you crash diet possibly well, if yeah. someone, you know, isn't working with you um, and doesn't know they can advocate and then way to start possibly disordered eating, eating disorders, weight mm. cycling. I mean, it's just it, which is way more ruinous than just like working. Yeah you know, helping the person the way they should be helped. Oh gosh. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, it's so good. I mean, this is, this is the thing, like, this is what I don't think people understand and why it's so wonderful. And so, yeah, they're basically being blackmailed for their children. It's blackmail. It's brutal. Wow. Um, so tell, what about some wonderful stories? Like where, where, where have you, have you, have you seen, or do you, have you had clients work with doctors who are a little more educated about diet culture? Like, are you seeing any hope in the field? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's tricky for me to kind of bring up specific stories because generally the, the messages I get are, I read your book and I got pregnant a week later. Like I get so many messages (laughs) like that. I just, you know, people just saying, I just needed to give myself permission to start this process and to get moving and to, you know, know that it's okay for me to get pregnant in a bigger body. And those are the stories I love because, you know, the whole point of my work is I want to put myself out of business. Like I don't want people to have to try and navigate this. I want people to be able to go and see their doctor and if they need to, but, you know, be able to just go and get pregnant without any problems or worry or stress or anxiety around it. So, you know, for the people who I don't get to work with, who just, you know, have just been able to go, yeah, okay, I'm ready for this and go and make it happen. Like those are the stories that bring me so much joy, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, there are more healthcare professionals out there that are having that seed planted and maybe learning more about this kind of science and really starting to question what they're being told because so much of you know so much of the research out there is really uh, you know just like really ambiguous and not black and white and you know people are just doctors are busy they don't have time to like do a deep dive into all the research so they're just going on what they've told been told but so much of the research isn't that simple and I think people are starting to understand that but there is so much work there's such a long way to go to be able to make sure that every fat person out there is able to access the care that they need. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so much of the research is sponsored by like Novo Nordisk, you know, like uh, it's all <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, that's mean, a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Um, you know, and, and most of us, myself included, certainly don't take the time to like, Oh, who sponsored this study? So I rely mm-hmm. on other experts to, to keep yeah. me in the know. Yeah. Um, but I know to even ask those questions, which most people, I, we don't, we're really trained to take, um, you know, quote unquote research highlights, you know, those like, what's it called? Like clickbait mm-hmm. uh, pieces of info as like, Oh, well, this must be true. Um, yeah. And that's super but it's so misleading. So misleading. So misleading. 
Yeah. So it feels like you really, I'm just thinking about you're such, you really help people advocate for their own needs Mm -hmm. and help advocate for themselves. So patient advocacy, you coach them through some of the challenges. You actually are able to support them through some of the emotional labor by even taking Mm -hmm. some of it on yourself. Um, Is there any other aspect of what you do in your practice that you want to tell us about? Oh, yeah. I mean, what else? So for, you know, I am so blessed to be able to work with folks through their pregnancies as well. So, you know, um, a lot of the work that I do, you know, because for fat people, it's not just one and done when you get pregnant, like they still have to navigate all these biases through pregnancy um, and the fears around, you know, potentially things going wrong, especially because we have this narrative that fat folks are at a higher risk of things, you know, complications. So that, you know, some of the the joy that I get to do is to support people through this as well. And, you know, that is not, um, you know, that is from my lived experience, you know, I have done a lot of research into this now, so I'm learning more about it, but it's such a joy to be able to help people navigate that. And it's, it, it, it needs to do better. The system again needs to be better. Um, but over time, you know, people are reporting that, you know, they're better equipped you know, once they've we've worked together, they're better equipped to have those conversations around advocating for themselves and for their birth choices and for, you know, like accepting that actually, you know, you don't have to be treated a certain way in scans and during the process. But yeah, it's every person I think has a very um unique way that they come into this to working together with me. And it's it's often a real combination of, you know, like figuring out how they want to spend their time supporting themselves in terms of you know their health and well-being and their mental health generally most of all um and learning those advocacy skills but also just you know being able to for them to truly believe that they are worthy of this care and support oh yeah oh, I love that I totally hadn't thought about what happens after they get pregnant <laughs> It's like, oh, it's not one and done. Oh, you're right. There's like a whole system to navigate for a very long time. Um, Right, right, right. Oh, that's wonderful that you get to work with people through. I mean, what? Yeah, I can just imagine the joy of that, taking people through that whole process, seeing, witnessing them getting more and more feelings of worthiness and like they can navigate confidence to navigate this system or at least the I think maybe confidence to knowing that okay likelihood is high I'm going to encounter some anti-fat bias and I have tools and support for how to deal with it when it comes up like that's a huge confidence booster too to know that we're not just going to be emotionally you know out for the next week because of some very careless comment from a nurse or a doctor yeah. And it's nice for them to have this like safer bubble of place, you know, people who also know what they've gone through. So they have a place that they can come back to and know that they'll feel heard and feel seen and just know that other people will get what they've been through and not judge them. So I think having community like that is a really powerful piece of that puzzle. Oh, that's uh, so true. So true. I love that. Um, so your book, you wrote a book, Fat and Fertile. I'll include all your social media links in the in the episode notes. Um, is there anything you like, what prompted you to write the book? Was this kind of at the beginning of your business? Yeah, right at the beginning. Oh yeah. 
So at the beginning of like, I guess my transition from being just like a fertility coach to a fat positive fertility coach, um, that was really like the first, the first thing I did almost in that. And it was almost uh, me, it really, the book really started with me kind of being really cathartic about how I wanted to talk about this work and how I, you know, like how I saw the work and how I saw the different pieces of how I work together with people um kind of fit together and it was you know I wrote it and then it spent about 18 months sitting on my computer because I again you know coming back to what we talked about at the beginning of that reclaiming that word like I was really frightened that if I became the fat positive fertility coach that that meant I'd be fat therefore that meant I had to stay fat therefore I meant that I wouldn't be happy again it was a very tangled web of difficult thoughts that I had to navigate to really come to terms with this is the work that I totally believe I was meant to do but also the work that I you know was able to show up for and and help folks with because it's complicated doing this work yourself absolutely absolutely oh I'm so glad that you that you got through that tangled (laughs) web I I really I get that there is something about and you mentioned that I love to use this word earlier like this idea of like talking loudly about this I mean putting a book out there is talking loudly I do I'm also a creative writing coach I work with a lot of writers and this is this is like the birth we literally call it the birth process of, of the book writing process is Mm. to, you know, to, to release it out there. And that is, that's a huge step. So yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was very liberating and it was very terrifying because I self-published. So I just had to like figure it all out. Right. But it's not perfect. And there's definitely room for improvement with the book, but you know, I know that even in its imperfect form, it's helped so many people um, and that was really the main aim, wasn't it? Was it just to have something that people could relate to and people didn't felt less alone because there is no other book out there for fat people. Like it's all just a paragraph in a book about weight loss or dieting or the quote unquote ideal BMI. So yeah, I mean, it was much more about that. Isn't that shocking? There's no other book about fatness and pregnancy or fatness and fertility. I mean, that is so problematic. I'm so glad your book is out there. <laughs> and I can imagine like, I mean, there's something so interesting in thinking about, we want other voices out there. Like you said, mm. you would love to like, not have, not, not, not have to do this work, but you would love to be able for diet culture to get to a point where you don't have to do this kind of work. Right. So we need more people out there talking loudly, writing books. And I mean, I will say that's what really motivated me to do this podcast is I just kept thinking, where are the stories? Where are the lived experiences of fat people, um, stories. Cause that's what I resonate with. I really love hearing how, how people are just moving through the world and mm. finding joy in this, in, in the face of harmful marginalization and oppression, um, which leads me to, I want to ask you how you personally, how do you flourish in this anti-fat world? Like what brings you the joy? What has you feeling hopeful amidst all the really tough stuff that you see, not only with your own experience, but also with all your clients? How do you stay hopeful and joyful? 
Because oh, you seem very joyful, Nicola. <laughs> you've got a joyful, you. you've got a joyful person, person energy. Oh, well, for me, it's, <laughs> it's just controlling what I can control. So mm. for the longest time, I craved living in the countryside. And about nine months ago, we moved. So I get to be surrounded by trees, which brings me so much joy. And we have a big garden, which is something I've wanted since I was a little girl. And yeah, just being outside brings me a lot of that joy. Something else that is bringing me joy at the moment is that we're going to get a puppy soon. So um, yeah, I've been looking at lots of pictures of puppies and videos of puppies. Um, That brings me a lot of joy. Are the boys excited? Are they at the age? Oh, oh yeah. Six and eight. Oh, yeah. So it's like perfect. Perfect time. Um, but yeah, it's mainly going to be my emotional support dog. That's yes. Really what it's about. <laughs> but yeah, so I am so excited and happy about that. But music brings me a lot of joy. Um, yeah, I, it's just about finding those. I really try and find those simple, small moments in every day to, to find that joy. I do my a, a daily gratitude practice which I think is really helpful for me to to navigate even when I'm feeling really crap like that tends to just help me even if it's only for five minutes um but yeah like I get so much work from my um joy from my work even though it's a really vulnerable and challenging topic and folks are going through a lot of painful experiences like being able to support them through that and walk that path with them for a little bit brings me so much joy and like I said before like the people that I work with I am beyond blessed because Mm. they are some of the most compassionate wonderful human beings on the planet and you know being able to be in their company is as much a blessing for me as it is for them so it's just yeah Mm. I feel very honored to be able to do this work oh it's amazing Oh, thank you for that, Nicola. This has been so wonderful to chat with you. And I feel very lit up by who you are and the work that you're doing. And I'm so grateful that um, that people know about you and that you exist to help in, in an industry, in a, an aspect of fat people's lives where there, it does, like you said, it does feel really lonely and they've got someone they can turn to. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for being here and chatting about it. This has been really, really joyful. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is about, expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. Today's poem is called My Mother's Belly, and it's written by Sonia Renee Taylor. The bread of her waist, a loaf I would knead with eight-year-old palms sweaty from play. My brother and I marveled at the ridges and grooves how they would summit at her navel, how her belly looked like a walnut, how we were once seeds that resided inside. We giggled, my brother and I, when she would recline on the couch, lift her shirt, let her belly spread like cake batter in a pan. It was as much a treat as licking the sweet from electric mixers on birthdays. The undulating of my mother's belly was not a shame she hid from her children. She knew we came from this, seemed grateful. 
Her belly was a gift we kept passing between us. It was both hers of her body and ours for having made it new, different. Her belly was an altar of flesh built in remembrance of us by us. What remains of my mother's belly resides in a container of ashes I keep in a closet. Every once and again, I open the box, sift through the fine crystals with palms that were once eight. Feel the grooves and ridges that can no longer summit, but rill through fingers. Granules so much more salt than sweet today. And yet, still, I marvel at her once body. Even in this form, say, I came from this. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on the website at www.fatjoy.life, and on Patreon at patreon.com fatjoy. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. Talk again soon.